You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Good morning, church. Hey, good to see you today. I'm Jake, our associate pastor here. I want to welcome you uh, to Hill City Church. And uh, today we're continuing our series called Everything. And Josh assigned to me uh, the sermon that is also called Everything. So today you're going to learn everything you need to know about everything, right? So you think Josh preaches long. This is going to be a longie, all right? Um, No, today we're talking about um, everything going along with our series, Following Jesus with Everything. That's our vision statement. That's what we're here for, to follow Jesus with everything. And today we're literally talking about following him with everything, everything that we own, every possession, every dollar to our name, everything. And we don't, we don't normally like to talk about this subject, like our money, our possessions, what we have, uh, because we think it's, it's mine, right? Like, I don't want anybody touching it, talking about it. This is my stuff. Uh, it reminds me of my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, one of her favorite phrases. That's mine, you know? She's got this seven-month-old brother who can't crawl yet, but he can roll quick, man, and he just grabs stuff and he rolls away. And she's, hey, that's mine, you know? Well, now it's his. Um, so that's, we do the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're 2, 22, 82. Or, hey, that's mine, right? And our culture is just shouting that at us. Hey, you need more. More, more, more. Accumulate as much as you can. Uh, whether that's possessions, items, uh, biggest bank account, stock portfolio possible, um, more, more, more. And so we live in this very consumeristic, materialistic culture. And if you don't believe me, just look at your Amazon purchase history and feel convicted, right? Uh, one bumper sticker sums it up really nicely. The one with the most toys, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? And is still dead, by the way. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. Um, but that kind of sums up, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of our culture. Even though that's silly, like, we actually do kind of live that way. Uh, the iPhone 15 just came out on Friday. Most expensive iPhone yet, $1,100 is the cheapest you're going to get for that thing. And people are lining up. I was at the mall yesterday. Don't love going to the mall, by the way. But I was there, and it was just like the Apple store was just filled to the brim. And there was also some party going on in there. I don't know. People were clapping. But uh, every, I mean, people were given their, like, kidney to just get an iPhone, right? Like, my, I need the newest, latest iPhone. Because we value that. We value the nicest possession, the newest thing in our culture. So we need more, more, more. And one of the reasons we live this materialistic lifestyle is because our worldview is actually a materialist worldview. That's kind of the, the worldview of the West, is that we really only believe the only thing that exists is matter, the physical substance of the universe. There is no spiritual life. There is nothing supernatural. There's no God. There's no afterlife. So why not live it up for the present right here and now. The kids have a great way of summing this up. YOLO? YOLO? That's, the kids don't say that anymore, by the way. <laughs> don't say that if you're, if you're one of the kids. Um, you only live once, right? 
And that's the mindset. Hey, we're only living one time here on this planet. You only got so many years, so you might as well live it up because tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen, right? And so that's the, the mindset we have in this culture. Now, what does a materialist worldview and materialist, materialistic lifestyle lead to? One of those things is greed and a decline in generosity. Check out this recent report from Axios. Um, they showed that Americans gave, uh, the, what Americans gave to charity dropped by uh, $21.9 billion last year. And that's from individuals, uh, giving almost $22 billion less, uh, which is crazy. So individuals are giving less and less. Um, generosity is on the decline. Uh, greed is on the rise. That's one of the effects of this materialist worldview. Another one, uh, another effect of materialism is this, worry, worry. Uh, a new report by Capital One, Decision Lab, there's other ones that back this up, but 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. Over three quarters of Americans are just feeling anxious about their financial situation. 58% feel that finances control their lives. And then 52, over half people, have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. And so this is the effects of consumerism, materialism, um, putting all our stock in our material possessions. It actually leads to more anxiety and more worries. But can I put our situation into perspective for just one moment? Let's put it into a global perspective. So Americans are some of the most worried people on the planet when it comes to money, when it comes to our finances and our possessions. And yet the World Bank estimates that 10%, one out of every 10 people of the world's population lives on less than $2.15 a day. Like, what, what can you even buy for $2.15 here, right? Like, that's one out of 10 people. And then half the population of the entire planet living on less than $6.85 per day. So half the world living on less than what it costs to get like a mocha frappuccino these days, right? Like, think about that, one drink. And yet Americans are somehow the most worried people when it comes to our finances, and so we got to ask ourselves, like, what, why is that, right? And I'm sure other countries, other populations are looking at us like, yeah, why are you guys so worried about money? You have all the money. Now let's, okay, let's zoom out. So that's a global perspective. How about a historical perspective? Uh, think about your situation right now uh, in terms of history past. Um, you have running water that is coming straight to your faucet and when you open it up, it's clean water. Like you don't have to walk miles with buckets to come back to your house, to boil it, to make sure it's clean. You have clean water straight from your faucet. You have electricity powering your entire home. You have a car that could take you wherever you wanna go at the drop of a hat. You have a toilet, okay? You know what people in the past would have killed for? That porcelain throne you sit on every day? You, you take it for granted, okay? This is the stuff that kings and queens of past could only dream of, right? And you have it. You have it. Now, as Christians, I think we actually need to zoom out 
One more time. One more time. As Christians, we don't hold a materialist worldview, a naturalistic worldview. And yet we often live no differently than everybody else who has, the exact, who has that worldview. We live like, yeah, this is all there is, and so I'm just going to be greedy or I'm going to be worried, right? Well, as Christians, we don't need a new worldview. We have the best one, in my opinion. We need a reality check. We need to wake up to the reality of our eternity. So zoom out to that eternal perspective. What would happen if you shifted your perspective from the temporary to the eternal? Not only believing that there is an afterlife, that heaven is to come, but actually living like it today. Would you live any differently if you knew that actually how you live today and what you do with your money actually affects the life to come? And so Jesus has a lot to say, a lot to say on this topic, the topic of money, the topic of possessions and generosity. It's actually one of the topics he talks about the most in all of the Gospels. So pick up your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to help us zoom out to that eternal perspective today. So let me set the scene here. What's going on in Luke chapter 12? Uh, you have crowds and crowds of people. It says literally thousands and thousands of people are coming to Jesus in this moment. So much so uh, that they're trampling over each other just to get close to Jesus. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is teaching his disciples. Uh, he's teaching them. And then all of a sudden, he gets completely interrupted. 100% interrupted. This guy breaks through the crowd, says, Jesus, hold on one second. I need you to solve a problem for me. Uh, my brother won't divide our inheritance with me. Uh, will you make him do it? And Jesus is like, I'm, no, I'm not going to get involved in your little family squabbles. He's like, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to take this moment as a teaching opportunity, and I am going to teach about greed because you're being greedy. And so that is the situation. Now, let me define greed for a second. This is what the New American Commentary says about greed. It says greed is this insatiable desire and lust for more and more. It is all-consuming so that all of life becomes focused on the accumulation of wealth. There is no room for anything else, not even God. And that is exactly what Jesus is going to teach about now in a nice little story that is otherwise known as the parable of the rich fool. Okay, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So you have this rich man 
who's already rich, okay? This, he has this incredible bumper crop, like this bountiful harvest that he didn't get. The land just produced that, right? That's what we call a gift. He didn't earn this. And it says he's already rich. So this crop only made him even richer. Now, as a landowner and as a rich person, he probably likely in this society, um, he has hired out tenant farmers. So he's not even farming the land, right? Like he's having people do it for him and he's making money off the backs of these people who are farming his lands and he has this incredible crop and what does he think to do with it? Does he think, man, I should probably be generous and share this with the people who have been farming my land or share it with my neighbors, you know? Have a party, have people over and get to experience this bountiful harvest that God has given me. Or does he think, you know what, maybe I should leave the edges of my field just like Deuteronomy, the law tells me to do for the sake of the poor so that they can come in and glean on the edges of the field. Does he do that? No. Does he think, you know what, I should make sure to tithe the first, the best, 10% of all of this back to God because God's generosity towards me with this incredible harvest. Does he think to do any of that? No, he does not do any of that. Instead, what he says, what am I gonna do with all this? What am I gonna do with all my stuff? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down the barns that I already have. I'm gonna build bigger ones. And I'm going to put all my grains in there, all my stuff in there, and it's going to be great. And he says, he speaks, after that, he speaks to his soul. He's like talking to himself, which is kind of weird. And he says, soul, self, good job. You did all this yourself. And now you just get to sit back, relax, eat, drink, be merry. And in these three short verses, he uses the words I and my 11 times, 11 times. So he's concerned only about himself, and that is greed. Now, the issue is not the rich man getting richer. That's actually not it. It's not wealth in and of itself. It's actually what he decides to do with that wealth. It's how he views that wealth in abundance. He views it only for himself, for his own materialistic pleasures and comforts for this whole life. He's not thinking about the poor. He's not thinking about his neighbors. He's not thinking even about God. And so he puts these plans together. He's going to live this hedonistic lifestyle, eat, drink, be merry, relax, buffets, cocktails, hit the beach, right? Like that's what this guy is thinking. And when you think about it, that's the American dream, right? Like, this guy gets to retire early, right? Oh, he's done. That's great. Okay, retire early, as fast as you can. Make as much money as you can, as quickly as possible. Be done. Go live on a beach somewhere, Cancun. Uh, just be drinking margaritas all day and having the time of your life, right? American dream. We did it. That's what this guy is thinking. He's got that YOLO mindset. Now, this rich man, those are his plans, right? And then he's in for this very rude awakening. When God responds to him and says, fool, is that what you want to hear from God? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> they are not off to a great start. Fool, tonight your soul is required of you. 
This guy doesn't have any chance to change or to respond. Nope, that's it. Tonight you will die. And then what's going to be left with all your stuff? (laughs) That's what Jesus says. And so this is like the ultimate, you can't take it with you parable, right? You get to the end of your days. Doesn't matter if you stuff everything as much as you can into your coffin. It's not going with you. You can't take it with you. And so Jesus says, so it is, and this is his whole point. This is the parable, the point of the parable. So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What is it to be be rich towards God? It is to love God with everything, your whole self and everything that you have, and to love others in the same way. And we see that one of the ways that we love God is actually by loving each other. You even see that in Matthew 25, when he says, hey, you have ministered to me, right? When you gave uh, water or a cup of water or something to eat or clothe the naked, when you did that, you're actually doing it to me, right? So when we take care of the poor, we're actually loving God, being generous with our possessions, investing into the things of the kingdom of God. This is what it is to be rich towards God. And so the point is this, your life is not your own. Did you create your soul? No. God created your soul. And to the man in the parable, he says, your soul is required of you. So God created your soul. Your life is not your own. Your money and your possessions are not your own. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have is on loan from God. And so to live for this short temporary life and to try to accumulate as much for yourself is foolishness. Now let me remind you, is Jesus condemning wealth in and of itself? No, he, he's not. Is it a bad thing to prepare for retirement? Is it a bad thing to save for your kid's college fund or to, to provide for your family? Obviously, it is not. But you have to ask yourself, how am I using what God has given me? How am I using it? Am I seeking to stockpile as much for myself? Or is generosity my habit? Am I compassionate towards the poor with what I have? And does that supersede my own pleasure and comfort in this life? Am I investing in the kingdom of God, into the things that actually will last into eternity? And that's Jesus' point at the very end of this chapter. Later in this chapter, he says this. This is his call. This is his application. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Spells it out plain as day. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He says, be generous, to the, be generous, give to the poor, get yourselves a bank account that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. I love that. 
Did you know last week that the MGM Grants and Caesars Entertainment, their casinos, the two largest casinos in the world, got hacked? It's like a modern-day Ocean's Eleven, right? They got hacked, and the hackers are requiring a $30 million ransom. And so even the largest casinos in the world with the highest tech possible aren't safe. But you know what is safe? Your eternal investments. Everything you invest into eternity, into the kingdom, is safe. It's a bank you can bank on. And so once again here, Jesus calls us to zoom out. Hey, don't just be narrowly focused right here and now on this temporary life. Zoom out. Look at the perspective of eternity and start investing into that. And that is what will allow you to become a more generous person. We see the early church really living this out. Like as soon as Jesus is glorified, ascends to the heavens, the early church picks right up here. And we see in Acts 4, Barnabas, who later is the traveling companion missionary with the apostle Paul, spreading the gospel around the Roman Empire. We see Barnabas, this very generous man. He sells a huge piece of his land, his property, and gives the proceeds to the church for them to distribute to the poor in the church. We see that in Acts chapter 4. Um, we see that by the end, by the middle of the 4th century, uh, Christianity has spread just from this tiny little group of a few hundred people in Israel and Jerusalem to hundreds of thousands of people across the whole Roman Empire. And there is this man who's named Julian, who's later called Julian the Apostate, and he is the last pagan Roman emperor before Constantine and before the empire becomes Christianized. Uh, and he writes to his pagan priests, and this is what he says that they should do, and this is what he's saying about Christianity at the time. This is in the like, three, early 300s. It says, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, or that's the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. It is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, their pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism. Now, that's what they called Christianity because Christians didn't believe in the plethora of the Roman gods and the Greek gods, so they called them atheists. And he says, basically what he's telling his pagan priests to do is, get on it, guys. We need to start taking care of our poor because here all the Christians are out here doing it and it's making us look bad. And that's one of the reasons that this Christianity thing is spreading all over the empire. And so the reality is this, wherever you find Christians, you will find the poor being helped. Wherever Christianity is, you will find the poor being helped. That's true from our own backyard, 
with Chrysalis, Boise Rescue Mission, City Light, Love, Inc., all the way to these global efforts with Charity Water, Compassion International, World Relief, World Vision, thousands of more Christian nonprofits and charities around the world helping the poor. And so one of my challenges to you is this. Don't wait to be generous. Do what Jesus has called us to do. Like give to the Give to the poor. Be generous to those who are in need. Start practicing generosity and to make it a habit. Because one of the logical fallacies that we have is like, oh, well, once I have X amount of money in my bank account, well, then I can be generous. I can't right now, but then I will be able to. No, generosity is not dependent upon a person's financial status. It's dependent upon your character. It's just something that you do. I'm going to call myself out for a second. Is that all right? This sermon is just as much for me as it is for you. And Josh gave me the money passage. I'm like, great. Thanks, Josh. Um, I am naturally just a stingy person. I'm a cheapo. Okay, I'm a saver. Uh, You know that kid... Uh, who goes, gets his Halloween candy, and a year later, he still has that. that that's me. I still do that. It drives my wife nuts. Um, I'm, I'm not, like, in my flesh, in my non-spirit life, I'm naturally a penny-pinching person. But I married a very generous person. As they say, opposites attract, and then attack. They don't tell you that part. <laughs> I'll tell you that part. No, just kidding. Um, when we were first married, we had like several hundred dollars to our name. We were literally poor. <laughs> literally poor. We were like 21, 22, uh, still in college. I was working part-time at a bagel shop. We weren't rich. I'll tell you that much. And uh, even then, when we had like so little, and I think back to it, I'm like, wait, how did we live? I don't even know. Um, but even then, my wife would challenge us to be generous, challenge me to be generous, challenge us to give when there was a need, up our giving, give to this place, give to that place. And it challenged me, and it's still challenge, and she still challenges me to do that. And I've slowly but surely become more generous over time with her influence. So don't, don't wait to become a generous person. That's not how it works. Start by being generous today. Even if it's just a little bit, start by doing that. And the paradox is that some of the richest people I've ever met are some of the stingiest. And some of the poorest people I've ever met are some of the most generous. So backwards. I've got the opportunity and privilege uh, three times now uh, to go visit the country of Haiti. And in my last year of high school, that was my first time I got to go there. And, you know, I'm in high school, I'm thinking, I'm going there to serve these people, right? And when we get there, when we get to this orphanage and stuff, um, what we find is that they are being extremely hospitable towards us. And they're like cooking for us. They're like, sit down, hey, you know, what can we get you? All this stuff. And it's like, wait, aren't we here to serve you? And they're here serving us and being generous with the very little that they have towards us. And it just broke my little high school brain, right? So you you don't have to have much to be generous. Uh, That's not how it works. 
Author Philip Yancey, you might know that author. But he writes about his own journey with greed and then generosity. And he talks about how his his wife, again, his wife is very generous. He is naturally not. I don't know if that's a guy-girl thing. I'm not going to say it is. But same thing with him and his wife. And his wife is working for this nonprofit and it's, it's for working with uh, senior citizens who are very low income. And she's like finding out about these just devastating stories and people who are just like um, living on nickels and dimes and people who are in very need this much or this month. And so what they started doing is they would uh, get these envelopes and fill them with cash and they would slide them under the door, anonymous, it's just God loves you, Right? to the person who really needed it that month. And he writes this, he says, I needed to see money for what it was, a loan that God has entrusted to me for the purpose of investing in the kingdom of heaven, the only kingdom that pays eternal dividends. So are you gonna be like the rich fool in the parable? Are you going to be generous as Jesus is, as he's called us to be? And one of the reasons that Christians can be so generous is because we understand just how generous God has been towards us, right? Think about this, Romans 8, 32. The whole chapter is just incredible. Read it sometime. But towards the end of it, Romans 8, 32, it says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Like you think about that perspective. You're like, is God going to provide for me? Am I going to have what I need? He literally gave up his own son for you. That's how much he cares about you. That's how much he is willing to go the extra mile for you, to be generous towards you. He has given you the gift, the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you have yet to receive that gift, that generous gift of eternal life, today's a day. Okay, receive it. God is saying, I'm here. Our arms open wide. Come into my kingdom. Receive this gift. And if you have yet to be baptized Sign up today. Here's a cool thing. You want to know what's happening at the 11 o'clock service? Five baptisms. Can we celebrate that? Maybe you weren't planning on getting baptized today, and you're like, I need to do it. Okay, be number six. Be number seven. Like, hop in the waters of baptism today. So Jesus is teaching us on the problem of greed, right? Now, one of the things we talked about earlier This materialism has led us to greed. It's also led us to worry. And Jesus teaches us now. He turns to worry. And this is what he says uh, in our last text today. This is Luke 12, verse 29. He says, Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Don't seek what the world seeks after. Seek the kingdom of God. Psychology Today says in 1923, 100 years ago, 
The top five causes of death were infectious diseases, such as tuberculosis and influenza. Today, by contrast, four of the top five causes of death are stress-related. Heart disease, cancer, chronic respiratory diseases, stroke. We're worried. We're an anxious people, and it's literally killing us. And yet Jesus tells us, he says, don't worry. Don't be worried. Don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, where you're going to live. And we often think, well, the more that I have, then the less anxious I'll be. If I finally get to that nice house, this nice car, have this, then I'll, I'll finally be less anxious. You won't be. That's what Jesus is teaching you here. More money, more problems, right? That's like how it usually works. And so it should be no surprise that we, the richest people in the world, are some of the most anxious people in the world. We're worried. Now, let's just put this into perspective really quickly. Who is Jesus talking to? When he says, don't be worried, don't seek after what you're going to eat or drink, he's talking to the poor, like literally the poor. He's talking to day laborers. So people who are working to get their one day's wage. Work, at the end of that day, get paid. Well, what happens if you, like, get sick? You don't go to work today. I guess you don't get paid today. I guess you don't eat today. Like, he's talking not to people who live paycheck to paycheck. He's saying, these people live day to day, hand to mouth. And to these people, he says, don't be worried. Like, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. How much more does that apply to us? Like, are are you going to be worried if you're going to be able to have a cup of water today? Have a slice of bread today? Like, no, you're probably thinking about, where am I going to go to brunch after this, right? Chick-fil-A is closed. It's Sunday. I ain't going there. Goldie's certified. I don't know. That's what we're thinking about. We're not thinking about, oh, man, am I going to survive today? And so Jesus says, don't seek those things. Why? Why? Because your Father in heaven who loves you, you know that, right? Like, it's incredibly important. Your Father in heaven who knows you, who loves you, knows everything you need, and he'll take care of you. That's what he says. So don't worry about that. Instead, Seek the kingdom of God, and everything you need will be added to you. And so this is our main point for today. Seek the things of God, and God will provide everything that you need. Seek the things of God, and God will provide everything you need. When you're seeking the kingdom of heaven, when, you're, when your will is aligned with the will of God, then you don't need to worry about what you're going to have because God is going to supply every need. Now, I'm not saying he's going to supply every want. Might not give you that Lambo, right? That Ferrari, he might not give you that. But he is going to supply everything that you need. Uh, A year ago, I really had to wrestle with this idea because we wanted to take uh, our daughter out of daycare and and we had a, a... one child, one kid on the way. And uh, we were thinking, wow, man, we want to have my wife stay home. And uh, for the first like six to eight months of my daughter's life, she was in daycare. Not saying that's bad. We just didn't like it. We ended up just like, oh, we don't like this. 
And so we're like, how, how can we figure out a way to have my wife stay at home so she could be at home with our, our two-year-old and now our seven-month-old? And uh, it's a wild home. And um, this is literally like, okay, if she stops working, this is a 50% cut to our income. And I'll tell you what, you don't go into ministry to get rich, okay? Unless you're like Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick or something. Nope, I'm not saying anything against them. But hey, over here, we ain't, we're not rich. Uh, and so I'm thinking, man, are we going to even survive? Like, can we like cover the minimum of like our bills and stuff? And so for like three months, like last summer, I'm just like, like literally, I'm worried all summer. Like this passage, like I needed to hear this passage. Don't be worried, don't be worried. And obviously my wife is like, fine. She's like, hey, we're going to be okay. And I'm like, are we? Uh, and by the end of the summer, when it came time, when it's like, yep, she's not going to go back to work, I just handed it all over to God. I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide for us. And right then and there, he just gave me that peace. I was like, I'm not going to be worried. I don't have to be worried. And I haven't been worried. And God has supplied our every need. That's, that's one year. God has supplied our every need. Now, I'm not saying that we get to do everything that we were doing before when we lived on a different income. Uh, we're not going out as much. We're not traveling across the country to see family. Like, it's, it's not as possible for us. But that's okay. We have everything that we need. And can I tell you one of the things that helped me get over my worries and problems and anxieties is this little book. It's a little book right here. It's called God's Smuggler, all right? Didn't realize this when I bought it. This is the Young Reader's Edition. <laughs> I was like, you know what? After I read it, I'm like, I'm going to buy more Young Reader's Edition. This is, this is fantastic. I like this. Uh, there's probably an adult version out there if some of you are interested in that, but... Um, this guy is amazing. Uh, born in the 20s, lived through World War II as a teenager in the Netherlands. After that, he goes off to war, and he just finds that like, his life is meaningless. He's like, what am I doing with my life as he, after he comes back injured from war? And uh, he has this radical encounter with God. He gives his life over to God. And from that moment on, he's just like, God, my life is yours. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm here for you. And he just lives his life in the craziest way, trusting God. And what he ends up doing for his life is smuggling thousands of Bibles into communist countries, where in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, communist Russia, Soviet Union, um, all the way to China. He's smuggling Bibles, and he could have been arrested. He could have been like taken away, never seen again, right? He actually just passed away this last year. Um, and he gave his life to um, getting Bibles into the hands of people who don't have them. Like a church would have like one Bible, like the pastor would have a Bible. Sometimes not even that, they'd have fragments, right? And so he's smuggling Bibles in. So when he is in seminary, this is a very unorthodox seminary, not in their theology, but in the way that they train their pastors, they're training them to go out into some gnarly situations. And so he is uh, getting trained for ministry. 
And this is one of their training exercises. Let me read this to you. It says, soon came time to head out on the first of several training trips in evangelism. My professor, Mr. Denon, said, you're going to like this, Andy. It's an exercise in trust. The rules are simple. Each student on your team is given a one-pound banknote, so like a dollar, okay? Each student on your team, uh, with, with that, you go on a missionary tour through Scotland. You're expected to pay your own transportation, your own lodging, your own food, renting the halls, providing refreshments for everybody. And I said, all on one pound? And he said, actually, it's worse than that. When you get back to school after four weeks, you're expected to pay that pound back. And he says, oh, sounds like we'll be passing the hat all the time. No, you're not allowed to mention money at your meetings. All your needs must be provided without any manipulation on your part, or else this experiment is a failure. I was a, team of a, I was a member of a team of five boys, and later when I tried to remember where our funds came from during those four weeks, it was hard to remember. What we needed was always there. Sometimes someone's parents would send a little money. Sometimes someone would get a check in the mail from a church we'd visited earlier. But those notes that came with these gifts were always interesting. They always said something like, I know you don't need money or you would have mentioned it. But God wouldn't let me sleep tonight until I'd put this in an envelope for you. Contributions frequently came in the form of produce. In a town in the Highlands, we were given 600 eggs. We had eggs for breakfast, eggs for lunch, eggs as hors d'oeuvres, before a dinner of eggs with egg white meringue dessert. It was weeks before we could look a chicken in the eye. (laughs) But money or produce, we stuck fast to two rules. We never mentioned a need, and we gave away a tithe within 24 hours. Another team also set aside 10%, but they didn't give it away immediately in case of emergency. They ended up owing money to hotels, lecture halls, markets all over Scotland. We came back to school almost 10 pounds ahead. As fast as we gave away money, God was swifter. That was the experiments. And that was the experiments of his lifetime. That happened at every corner of his ministry, when they got married, when they had children, When they thought, are we ever going to have a home? God provides them a home. And then they think, man, we need to supply 600 Bibles uh, to these Russian churches. How are we going to get all that money? Well, they needed 15 grand. Their house was worth 15 grand. They said, I guess we'll give away this house God just gave us. And they had uh, a two-year-old and a baby on the way. Uh, Right when um, they were going to sell the house, uh, they went to the publisher, and the publisher said, you know what, we're actually going to cover most of your costs, and we're going to give you a ton of these Bibles, and you can take them as you need to the Russian churches. And so they ended up not needing to sell their house, but it's, it's an exercise of trust at every corner. And sometimes it was the last second, and that's how it works sometimes in our lives, the very last second where we're like, God, are you going to provide you going to come through? And he does. And so my friends, let us not worry. Let us not be greedy. Let us be a people who are generous, 
a people of peace, a people who trust our good, gracious, benevolent God to supply our every need. Seek the king, seek the things of God, and trust that God will supply your every need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your immense generosity towards us in the gospel. We thank you for providing every single thing that we need. Even when times are hard, God, we know you're going to pull through for us. We thank you for your generosity towards us and helping us by your Holy Spirit to produce that fruit of generosity, to give to those who are in need. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people who are a generous people, God. I've seen it time and time and time again. And God, would you continue to grow that fruit within us individually and together as a congregation to make a generous impact in the north and in downtown, in this valley and across the world. God, use us for your kingdom and your glory as we seek the kingdom of God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your powerful, holy, and good name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.